Mr. D. Clinton Thompson, DaleWileyShow.com. Wanna have fun tonight on Ozark Jubilee! Missouri Music Podcast, hosted by music fan and the founder of Slewfit Records, Mr. Dale Wiley. And today I'm talking to Mr. D. Clinton Thompson. And so let's start by asking you, what kind of music do you play? What kind of music do I play? I play... Yeah. I can do a number of styles. I know. <laughs> um, uh, right now, I I play a lot of different kinds of styles. I, I wouldn't have okay. to bore everybody <laughs> telling you how many. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, that's I have, I have always sort of felt like I was pretty good at, at knowing how country music is played. It's played differently than blues which is played differently than a little differently than rock and roll or jazz. Right. I'm not okay. really a jazz player, but uh, it does. <laughs> there is a f- different feel in there. Well, okay. So let's go back to how did you first get interested in music? Uh, well, I was born basically. Really, okay. I, I, music has been central in my life since as far back as I can remember. Okay, and, and I think a lot born? of musicians are like that. Where were you born? I was born in Wichita, Kansas, in 1951, okay. Great. July 5th. Remember that next year. I shall. I sure will. I you wear a medium. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and so what were the first things that you liked about music? Well, you know, the first thing that really excited me when I heard it, maybe when I was about four years old, Okay. Was um, it was the blues influence that was in the pop music of the time? Okay. It was just kind of well, there had been blues influence in music since you know big band swing era or whatever, but right, sure, the early jazz, but uh, not in pop music. You know, that was the popular music of the day. Yeah. Um, I remember a song called. Uh, do you remember a singer named Teresa Brewer? Yes, absolutely. She had a song called Sweet Old Fashioned Girl. Okay. And it was just kind of a syrupy little pop song about a uh, nobody's interested in a sweet old-fashioned girl. Right. And then they go into this, and little these little bridges go into a, a rock and roll style thing. Uh-huh. And that just got me right there. That just excited me when I'd hear that. I'd wait for that part of the song, you know. (laughs) And uh, so I think it was the blues influence in music. Not blues itself, because I never got to hear that stuff. Right. (laughs) But uh, the blues influence in music, in pop music at the time, really started to excite me. Of course, that was exactly about the same time that rock and roll was becoming popular. Right, exactly. 
Yes. And uh, I think that's really what got me pretty interested. When did you first start playing guitar? Um, let's see. Well, I started out as a drummer. Okay. I was. I think I got my first set of drums at age 12. Okay. And, uh, and we started our first little bands when I got to high school. And I, I got a little Stella guitar for Christmas when I was a freshman in high school. Okay, was this but I'd always been by that point or what? I was starting to play a little. Well, I had a friend down the street that got a little, little K electric guitar, a little cheap thing with a little bitty amp. Okay, yeah. And he started playing. He started taking lessons, and uh, so I knew when when he took his lessons and when he got home. So I would go down there when he'd just get off from his lessons and say, "Well, uh, show me what he taught you today." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a great way to get free lessons. Anyway, so I just, I started learning to play a little guitar, you know, even though I was already playing drums. Right. But, uh, uh, in Springfield or where? In Springfield, yeah. Okay. I've lived. Well, I've been. I, I feel like I've lived in Springfield all my life because right. my, grandpa- my grandparents lived there. I was living in Kansas City. Right. But, uh, uh, but I've always come. We've always come down to Springfield. And then we moved here when I was ten. Okay. And so then. What was the first band you were in? The first band I was in was in freshman in high school. Okay. I think we called ourselves the VIPs. Okay, good name. Well, you know, we had those those twin twelve silver tone amps. Everybody had those. It was it was a wall of silver tone amps. Right. And you could get just those little mailbox letters. And on every amp grill cloth, you put oh, yeah. VIPs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. What were the VIPs like? It was we played rock and roll songs that, you know, we played Louie Louie, a uh, little Latin Loopy Lou, Walk Don't Run, Pipeline, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. And so, when did you first start to get good at the guitar? When I when I when it got to the point where I had to start showing our guitar players. The parts on songs. It really okay. kind of started. I started getting better than the the guitar players that were in the band. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then after a while, by the time when around the time I turned sixteen, I decided to change over because okay. guitar was a little sexier than drums. Yes. Although I didn't know at the time, it's the drummers that always get all the girls. You know? Right. <laughs> totally. But, so that's yeah, that's how I got in the guitar. Okay, and was that in that band or another band? It was uh oh well I got in I didn't even play guitar in a band till basically I was out of high school. I didn't do anything musically much in high school. Uh we had our little bands that hardly ever played, but I was a drummer then. Right. But I didn't play guitar till the year I got out of high school. Okay. I remember we put a little thing together to play at a at a high school assembly. All right. But uh, maybe that's the first time I played in public on guitar. Right. But anyway, um, so uh, the year I got out of guitar, I I started this little thing with Randall Chowning from the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. All right. Yes. Of course, it's way before the Daredevils. Right. So Randy was trying to learn to play guitar. I mean, I'm trying to learn to write songs. And uh, I would help him demo his songs. 
And I had a friend who had a real real tape recorder that could do sound on sound. You could overdub. Uh, sure. And and we'd make little demos of Randy's songs. Plus, we'd do gigs every now and then. Right. And uh uh anyway, that, that was really the name? first band I first we call ourselves Catfish. Okay. <laughs> that was the first band I was in playing guitar. All right. And so when did you meet Lou Whitney? I met uh, about 1972. Okay. I uh, got a job at a new record, a new uh, music store. It was over on the Plaza Shopping Center called the Rock Shop. Okay. And uh, so I worked there, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And during that time, this guy started coming into the, to the store, well, as a lot of people did then. Right. Uh, uh, and he would, uh, I didn't know him, John Gott, who was the the owner of the store, uh, knew him. Uh, and uh, he would come in, grab a guitar off the wall, acoustic guitar off the wall, and he'd sit down there in the office, of course the office, it wasn't really an office like in the back, far away from everything, right. it was right up front. And uh, he'd sit there and he would just play these funny songs, and just, he, I just thought this guy's really entertaining. <laughs> and uh, so it was a sense of humor that first drew, drew sure. you. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And uh, but he was a musician too. He was playing. Uh, oh, I think he was playing at the place out there in West Sunshine that is now a, a stripper bar. I should say, <laughs> I should say, an exotic dancing bar. Right. Yes. And uh, uh, and that's what he was doing six days a week. Really? And, uh, yeah, so that's how I met Lou. And he would, uh, that gig ended for him, and he, he and Mary Lee, who were not married yet, but they were already had a relationship. Right. Put a little group together. I think he first moved out to Arizona where he had some family. Yeah. And they played for a while, but then they came back here. They got a gig up in Columbia, a place okay. called Jack's Gourmet Restaurant. The back okay. of Jack's. They had the little lounge right, right there. Yeah, and Lou would always bug me about, uh, uh, man, it'd be really great if you come up and play with us, you know. Right. And he would always mention that whenever I'd see him. Right. And then finally, uh, I quit working at the music store, and the band I was playing in broke up. Uh-huh. And I saw Lou, and I said, hey, "Lou, still need a guitar player." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I had friends up there already. So I moved up there to Columbia and played with them a couple of months. At uh, so that's how I got to playing with Lou. Okay. It was just kind of a lounge gig, you know. It's playing some hits of the day and a few old, old rock and roll songs or whatever. Right. But uh, uh, so yeah, that's how I got to playing with Lou and Mary Lee. Well, and so how, when did that become the first part of the skeleton symptoms? Morales combo. What what happened next? Well, we did. Uh, uh, let's see. That gig ended at, at Columbia, and I just Randy called me. You know, the, the the Daredevils were happening by then. Right. And this was like 1970, uh, early 74. Okay. And uh, you know, and I I was still up to that time when he was in the Daredevils. I would go out to the Rudy Valley Ranch and we'd demo, demo his songs, and right. uh, I was still doing that. And I think I always—he never said this, but I think as 
as a friend, he wa- he knew I I would really like to be part of the Daredevil thing. You know? Right. Yeah. So he he had me. Uh, he they hired me through Randy to mix sound for him. Okay. So I got a gig mixing sound uh, for the Daredevils. I did that for two or three months, and uh, they decided they wanted to get some big engineer guy from Nashville. So because I right. really wasn't a, well, I wasn't really an engineer, sound engineer. Yeah. I had pretty good ears, but uh, so uh, anyway. I hooked back up with Lou and Mary Lee, who by then were playing. I'm probably getting too detailed about this. No, but, no, uh, you're not. No. Well, they were playing. They had this gig. Uh, where was it? Oh, it was in. <laughs> that's right. It was a gig in Waynesville. Okay. At a place called Tom's Jungle Room. Really? And okay. it was a six night a week job, and it was four sets a night, and on each three. The three breaks, they had a stripper. Right. <laughs> Miss Tony Don, the world's most exciting exotic dancer. Wow. And uh, and uh, that was an eye opener. I don't think I'd ever <laughs> seen a stripper before in my life. You know what was I twenty three or something like that? Right. Exactly. And uh, I remember the first night she was gonna kind of christen me or something. I guess she did her little dance where she goes around to the. And shakes it for individual right. soldiers. Usually, it's mostly soldiers. Yes. A lot of about half soldiers and half female wax. You know, right? Are in there. Yes. And uh, uh, well, she did this thing. She came. She got right up there. She grabbed the back of my head and pulled it into her her chest. You know, uh, and and and, and uh, grind, did the grind or whatever. You know, right. and I just remember that she smelled like. Uh, High school gym locker, <laughs> her locker room. Right, and, uh, she was kind. Of, yeah, she was a little funky, but uh, right. she had she had a, quite an act. She had a, a couple of boa constrictors. She did the thing. With. Wow. And and at the end, man, she'd take it all off and ride around <laughs> the floor. Well, I mean, there was some choreography to it, you know. But, right. Uh, and it's funny. And then she would get up and sing with the band. She would do. Uh, uh, the Wayward Wind. <laughs> really? And she Where would have this little sheer, like a sheer rope that you could see right through, and she was buck naked up there singing The Wayward Wind. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's my fond memory. <laughs> but but anyway, we played. We did a couple other gigs. And then uh, we got this gig in Rolla. I heard that Rolla. I heard that Rolla was really important. Well, uh, you know, it's important to people in Rolla, I guess. <laughs> um, oh, it was Lord all right. Rollo was okay, uh, but we we got a six uh, we got a six night a week gig there, uh, playing this place called the Pub Mobile. Right. And one night, um, Tom Shipley from Brewer and Shipley. Okay, you know, you've heard of them. Oh yeah, totally. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they he came in with somebody some friend or something. And uh I guess I met Tom that night. And I just uh I had seen them play on T V a couple three times. Yeah, definitely. And they had they had a they had a couple guys playing with them, but it was like a band, a guitar and bass, but no drums. Right. That never that never sounded right to me. And I just right. I just was kind of cheeky at the time I guess. I said, Man, 
you guys really need a drummer. I mean, <laughs> I could do that job for you if you need if need be. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, anyway, I, I was of course already a known entity to uh, Good Karma, you know, their management company. Right. And uh, I'm sure there was some talking going on, and and uh, they asked Randy about me or something. Anyway, anyway, they offered me the job. Okay. And uh, and so uh, I don't know. We found somebody to take my place at Rolla. And I went <laughs> off with I went off with Bruin Shibley. Wow. For a couple of years. And okay. Actually, for the last part of that, I I went ahead and came when I was home. I would go down and play with them. Right. But uh, anyway, so, but then after a while, we just decided we're all doing this stuff. This isn't really the kind of music we want to play. Right. Let's let's just do our own band. You know, okay. we've been playing a while, making some money. Everybody had a little money in the bank. It's a good time to try something, you know. Right. So, um, um, so we all moved back to Springfield. Okay. And we, we, uh, Recruited Jim Wonderly, right, and Ron Gramp, who played with us um, at Rolla. We counted; we had eleven different drummers in Rolla. Okay, it's hard to get. <laughs> it's hard to find drummers. Anyway, so we recruited Jim Wonderly and and uh, Rongo, and we put together a band called The Symptoms. Yes, and that was. We knew we kind of liked doing what we were doing, but we found out when we started playing. We started, Mary Lee was known as playing at uh, piano bars right. in Springfield. That was kind of her thing. Well, right. we, we rec- you know, we, Mary Lee, we want to get you in this band as you for it. Anyway, so we put together the band, and our first gig was a place where uh, Jim Cottingham, Yes. I was playing a single act at the old Custer's Lounge on right. Battlefield Road. He did a one-man thing where he played guitar and Hammond organ. And right. He was pretty good. And uh, he was going to take a five-week vacation. <laughs> That's a long vacation. So he, he recommended, well, you know, he it was, the guy's name was Doug Roselle that ran the place. He knew Mary Lee. So because of that, he says, well, I'll just hire – Marilee's band to come in and play, uh-huh. not knowing what he was getting into. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we started out. Of course, D- Doug hated us. We were really? too loud, and <laughs> it was not what he was used to. He was an old school, you know, lounge guy. Right. And uh, uh, but we started playing, and you know, it was just probably not a lot of business right at first. Right. But by the second weekend, it was gangbusters. Wow. From Monday, well, Mondays and Tuesdays would be a little slow uh, for the first set, but by the middle of the night, it'd be full again. Uh Six nights a week. Wow. Because there really wasn't anything else like it, you know. Right. We found, we just by kind of accident found out there was a market for this kind of rock and roll thing where this kind of, uh, uh, Vintage rock and roll, or whatever you'd call it. Right. There's a lot of 50s and 60s stuff that we right. were hungry to do, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you knew how to do it. And we kind of knew how to do it, yeah. 
And uh, <laughs> and of course, Lou was just the greatest front man, right? Ever seen. <laughs> and uh, it just worked. And a lot of people thought we were a family band, right? You know, same with the Morels too, because they thought yes. <laughs> Lou and Mary Lee were the were the parents, and Ron and I were the kids. <laughs> Because we were just, Ron and I were still in our 20s, you know. Right. And, uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, we just, we found out this really works. <laughs> and so we did that for a while, as you may and know. And so when did you start writing your own material? Oh, I never wrote a song till that getting in shape thing on. Uh, right. <laughs> that's the first song I ever wrote that I right. finished. And, uh, well, Lou helped me finish it. And uh, I'm not. I don't consider myself a songwriter. I I would okay. just. I I will write a, if I have a band, and we need some material, and maybe say, sometimes a song idea will just come to you out of the blue. But often right. not. You you. I want to do this song, but it doesn't really fit us lyrically. Sure. We need to chant or musically. I want to kind of do this sort of thing. I, I've got to kind of make it work for us. So right. I just make up, sometimes I would make up a song that was, oh, get really? in shape. That was one right. of my favorite things, Gary U.S. Bonds. Love that song. That's, I always, they're one of my all-time favorites. And, uh, or he is, and and the guy that produced him. Uh, right. So I was writing kind of a Gary U.S. Bonds kind of thing. Yeah, you know, we had the crowd behind us. If you remember Gary U.S. Bonds. Oh, yeah. I don't know how yeah. old you are. How old are you, Dale? I'm 48. Oh, so, yeah, it's way before your time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, Doesn't mean I don't know it, you know, so I'm willing to listen to everything because it's all so fascinating to me, definitely. Well, you know, there's there are young people that make it a point to learn. Well, you know, yeah. I've learned a lot about music of the 20s and 30s in recent years. Yeah, definitely. I've kind of, I tend to, go, instead of go forward, I tend to kind of go further back. <laughs> I go for. I go for I go forward toward the past. Right. Anyway, exactly. uh, I didn't see that whole uh, American Songbook thing happening. That that blindsided yeah. me. Where <laughs> people, where boomers were buying their parents' music. Right. Exactly. You know, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be surprised because, you know, I mean, I listen to my parents' music, big band jazz usually. So it like it. I didn't care about it at the time, but it. Right. Exactly. In. But uh, uh, anyway, I'll see. What were we talking about? Well, so the symptoms. So yeah, when well, we did the symptoms. Oh, when I start writing songs. No, uh, well, that's where I started writing songs. The only reason I do it is because we need material, or there's a song I want to do, but it doesn't really fit us. Right. So I have to, so I have to change it around. Wonderly and Lou. When did the others start writing songs? Uh, now. Lou was the only guy that really wrote had written any songs. Right. Uh, and we always proudly said we only do one original song. Because there are these bands around, you know, and they want to say, oh, we do original material. You know? Right. Okay, great. Uh, like it was some kind of badge of honor or something. Right. But uh, although people almost demanded, after the Beatles, people just started yes. basically demanding it. So right. we felt people would always, why don't you do your own songs? Right. <laughs> well, well, you haven't heard anything we would write. You might say something differently. Right. Or what we might come up with. Anyway, exactly. uh, so that was that's why I did it. Lou did it. Just uh, Lou would do it when he had nothing else to do. 
usually. Okay. We usually would, would we, for a while there, we would take off summers. And because uh, we were a college band back then, Simpsons, right. the Morales, Skeletons. We were, sure. We, we, yeah, it's funny when I think about it. Uh, so we would just take off the summers, and that's when Lou would come up with songs. Okay. Uh, then he got into the, the full-time studio business, and he just didn't write songs much after that. Sure, right. But, uh, but I understand that. Um, but I've, it's, it's never been something I really was had an ambition to do. Uh, I never. I, if I had a business card, I wouldn't put T. Clinton Thompson guitar drums songwriter. I wouldn't do that. Well, I'd leave out the songwriter. What would you put on your, on your business card? What would I put? Yes. Oh, uh, uh, raconteur storyteller. No, <laughs> uh, that would be that would be lose. Yes, oh, I don't know. You know, uh, guitar drums. That's about. That's the main thing I do. Have guitar will travel. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So when, did you, when did you start getting into the recording business? How did that start? Um, well, of course, I, we recorded with Randy for you know a couple of years there. Right. We did a lot of recording getting together. That's not okay. really professional recording though. Right. The first professional recording session I ever did was. Uh, uh, I don't know if you know who Keith McCormick is. I know the name, yeah. He he wrote a number one hit record called Sugar Shack back in oh, yeah. 63, and he played with the Fireballs. Right. Who, were, uh, who had a couple other hits, too. Right. But uh, uh, I got a call to do, I needed acoustic rhythm, which I'd never done before. But, of course, uh-huh. I said, yeah, sure, I can do it. And I thought I could. Right, but, and it, but the producer of the record was Wayne Carson. Oh wow! And believe me, he took me to school on rhythm sections that I didn't really know anything about. I right. just I wanted to be an accomplished lead guitar player. Right. You know, I didn't understand what it was. You know, I I knew that sometimes I would maybe I'd go out. Sometimes they'd have it they'd set up in a in the park or in a park shopping center parking lot and they'd have bands all day or in the evening or something. Yeah. And I and I would puzzle about well these guys play better these guys play better solos, but these guys just sound better. Right. And I didn't really understand until I did that session with Wayne Carson. And he taught me how how the bass is related to the drums and how the acoustic rhythm is related to the drums. Uh-huh. And he would have me do things that were just counterintuitive to me until he'd go around and he'd, he'd get everybody, tell them what they wanted, tell them what he wanted. I mean, there'd be just four of us for the for the basic tracks. Right. And, uh, and I'd go, okay. He'd just say, okay, just play on the on the two and the four, just hit it like that or whatever, you know. Okay. It just didn't yeah. make any sense to me. Right. And then we started playing and I went, shit. And then I go listen to the playbacks and I go, damn, that's me playing, you know. Right. I was playing with some real good players too. And yeah. uh, anyway, so I, you know, I never, I never learned more than I did for that three or four or five days, however long we were wow. on that. And, uh, 
that was my first real in a real in the old it was top talent studio then the studio that Wayne and uh, Cy Simon built. Okay. Eight first eight track studio in Springfield. Where is that? Where was that located? It was at uh, Elm and Glenstone, basically. Okay, great. It turned into a. I think it turned into a, like a State Farm Insurance office or something later on. Wow. But I think it's. I don't think it's even there. I think they tore it down for something else, which is ridiculous. But anyway. yeah, definitely. Uh, and then, uh, Lou and I, when we started the symptoms. During the summer when we weren't working much, right? I was li- <laughs> yeah. I was living up on the Gasconade River. Uh, Lou got a hold of a four-track TAC recorder. All right. Uh, which was kind of new, you know, it was consumer level kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and a mixer. And we got together to see, just to see if we could make any kind of decent recorded sound. Okay. So we did, we recorded five songs, two instrumentals and three vocals. Right. That was just me and Lou playing, and then we got Wonderly to sing the uh, the, uh, the vocals. Right. And one, two of the songs were driving guitars. Right. The instrumentals were driving <laughs> yeah. guitars and Sleepwalk. Yes. And, and that was our first record. Right. We took that. Jim Martin. I don't know if you know who Jim Martin is. I don't know him. Jim is the guy who really made it possible for us to do anything back then. Really. He uh, uh, he built a studio out on Mentor Avenue on the south part of town. Right. It was, it was actually a house that was converted into a studio, which is where Lou first started learning how to engineer. And, right. Uh, Jim would, uh, he was mostly doing a publishing company, and and he had a little stable of songwriters, which like Lou was one of them. Right. And then every so often he would go down to Nashville and knock on some doors and try to uh-huh. play some songs and try to get get somebody to cut something. And uh, But he financed that, our first record, uh-huh. and he financed the Morales album. He really? He financed the Skeletons Records. Wow. He financed all that stuff. He made all that possible. We couldn't okay. afford it to do it. And uh, he doesn't get near enough credit. And he played sax with us sometimes. He played the saxophones that are on, like, the Morales album. Wow. Or Jim, yeah. He was a good sax player. Uh, and so so that's how we got into rec- recording and making records. Yeah. So Jim Martin. Talk about that. that was on Berg Records, right? Pardon? Was that a bar record? Though, bar we record? didn't put them. We had to put them on some label. So Lou always <laughs> said, well, let's, "Let's call it borrowed records." Fewest returns <laughs> in the industry. Yes. <laughs> you know, Lou always had something. I use Louis right. every day. Every, oh, yeah, I don't I think a day goes by I right. don't use a Louisism for some Absolutely. situation. Yes. Or I'm reminded of a joke that I probably heard Lou say the first time. You know. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It just—it's every day. It never goes away. Really won't ever. Just fine. <laughs> exactly. But tell me about driving guitars because that was kind of a hit. It, uh, well, uh, it was a song I heard by the Ventures. Right. And I had 
or I didn't have him. I had a big brother. The only reason I got to hear some different records when I was a kid or hear more than just what was on the radio uh-huh. was my brother was a he was the worst to borrow all his friends' records. So we had all these records that my bar my brother would borrow. He'd uh-huh. never take them back. People are always knocking on the door. Hey, I need my records <laughs> back, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but I got to hear all kinds of stuff, which right. was really great. And uh, um, and I got off track again. We were talking well, about driving guitars. Oh, driving guitars. Oh, yeah. that's right. Uh, one of the records was The Ventures Live in Japan. Right. And I'd never heard that song before, but that is on that record. It was never yeah. a single. Right. Uh, but uh, until we did it. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. So it was a venture song, and we did, it was a cover of a venture song. Right. And, uh, and I thought that'd be a good one to record. It's, it's like something I always yeah. wanted to do, and never had the opportunity to, to do it. Right. Uh, and uh, I just bought a. Uh, Lap steel, right? And I learned one song on it, "Sleepwalk." Right. <laughs> yes. I never learned anything else. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And we used to actually play it live with the skeletons. Right. But uh, you've seen? Have you ever seen the Gary White in that Opry video? Yeah. Okay, you've seen that. So you see yeah. me playing. I played right. on that, but uh, uh, that's the only time I ever did it. Well. So, but that became kind of a hit in its own way, in its own well, we sold, regional well, level. For a so indie, for a indie homemade record, right? Yeah, I think we sold, I don't know, twenty five hundred, three thousand altogether. We had but to do a couple became, more pre- pressings. I know that. Well, but, uh, but that actually became like a famous song on was it a New York radio, radio station. No, that well, song? it's there was a couple things they used. Uh, one of the stations they used it for their concert hotlines right. segment, and then they used it for the uh, you know what's happening this weekend. Yes, line. That was another station did it, but the big right. one. Now I never heard this, but I got a letter from somebody that says I heard your version of driving guitars. This is a guy who's a musician. He he would have known. Right. And they had a there was a. Uh, a segment on hot dog skiers, I guess skiers that do crazy right. things or something. Yes. And they used your record. And uh, which of course we never heard anything about it. Right. I guess that we should have got paid a little bit. Yes. But uh, so somebody heard it on the wide world of sports. Wow. Which I never did. I could just I just have to go by my friend who wrote me the letter. Right. But, uh, uh, so, oh, and they also used it for uh, when they'd get the football scores up on up at MU, or, or yeah, I don't, it was uh, I don't know if it was on a commercial station or on the school station, but uh, because uh-huh. uh, Rich King, the owner of right. the Blue Note, or yes. former owner of the Blue Note, right, uh, he said he ran into whoever was worked at that station. And says, hey, you know what you're using? Uh, Lou and Donnie, the guys that play at our place, you're using their song. Right, <laughs> and he said the guy got. He got. Oh, you think they want to get paid <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> and I don't know what he said. I just tell me about that guitar on the sleeve of of Drive Me Do You still have that? Uh, you know, you can see it uh, out at Reds. 
It's oh, in, really? It's in a display case out there. Oh, very cool. Um, I haven't seen it yet either. Uh, <laughs> Nick Sibley, he had that done. Okay. And it's 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 made from uh, an old Stratocaster parts. Right. And it it was unplayable. I tried to play it. I tried to play it one night and said, forget this. It right. But it looked good. It looked, it looked great for a picture. You know, <laughs> yes. That's what everybody talks about, the picture of everybody. Yes, definitely. Because it's shaped like a gun, so let's make sure that we could say that. Because and not just not a everybody. gun, a pistol. Yes. Like a Colt 45, you know. Right. That's, uh... Anyway, it looked good in the video, too. Yes. And so then the... Morales came next. Uh, well, that well, we did see we did that. Uh, no, we did the skeletons actually before the Morales. Oh, really? A version of the skeletons. Okay. And uh, uh, which guy we had? Well, started out with Randy Chowning was the fourth member with me and Lou and Lloyd Hicks. Really? And then, uh, but Randy had a, had a deal with A and M Records, and so he had to go off and make a solo record. Right. And uh, so we got Nick, Nick Sibley. And, right. And then we got a, I got a call from, man, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Bill Jones. Bill Jones, the sax player, do you know Bill? Right, sure. And uh, he was living in Nashville doing sessions. And he uh-huh. was working with this, doing a session for this guy named Steve Forbert. Oh, yeah. And, uh, they were ready to go out on the road, and he need, he needed a new guitar player. So Bill mm-hmm. suggested me. Okay. And uh, uh, and he called me, and or somebody called me, and I said, well, I don't know, you know send me his record. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Or actually, I think I went down and bought it. At, wow. But out of Kaleidoscope when they still sold records. <laughs> so I got that record and. I listened to it, and, and Steve's real good. It right. Just, I just wasn't what I was into too much. Right. Yeah. I just I just been doing, you know, the folk rock thing. We were in Shipley, and I was going well. Right. You know, I kind of like sure. what we're doing, and all. But uh, but I think everybody else wanted to go do the the uh, the Steve Forber gig. Right. I, I kind of turned it down, and then he did. The guy was smart. He went, he called everybody else in the band. You want to do this? Yeah, we'd love to do it. So then, <laughs> so then we just we did it. But uh, 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 but I'm glad we did because uh, I I got to be able to sit back, relax, right. and watch. During this time, he had a he had a single going up the chart. Yes, which went up to I think. Just missed the top ten. It was number eleven. Right. And uh, I could sit back and see what what they put him through. Steve Forber. Right. He got, sure. Yeah. I mean, he was just pushed, le- pulled left and right. Always having to go do this, uh, interviews, radio, blah blah blah. And uh, I didn't. I didn't uh, envy him at all. Right. Yes. So it, and it, it, you know it was a nice. I I just found I didn't know there was online you can get a uh, there's a live gig we did at the Capitol Theater in Passaic, New Jersey. Okay. And damned if it, it sounds pretty good. I was uh-huh. kind of surprised. I mean I yeah. know it sounded pretty good, but 
course, you know, the, the, the guy that mixed for us and, and produced the record was John Simon. Right. You know, that <laughs> yeah. is, you know, he did, oh, yeah. He did the, the band and Simon and Garfunkel. Right. Exactly, and yeah. And, and, real, and uh, the thing that excited us most, he was a producer on Red Rubber Ball by The Circle. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I think he was really amused by that because we were all excited about that. Right. He slipped behind Oregon one time and did that lick. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> and we went, oh, wow. Oh, that's funny. But uh, anyway, uh, so we did, uh, so the skeletons were gone. Right. Uh, and, uh, but so I we did that I did that for about seven months, and I just I I didn't want I was I'd never been away from home for like months at a time. Sure. And that was that was tough on me, and I had a new girlfriend, and it was like right. anyway. So I was the first one to kind of jump jump out of that gig. Okay. And Lou and Lloyd kept doing it. Right. But <laughs> Lou Lou and Lou and Steve had a big brouhaha and a dress. Tell me about that. You probably, I wasn't there, but, uh, 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 oh, you know, Lou is, he always said it was the, what do you, how do you say it was the, that, that, um, uh, conflict between the, the, the something and the poets. <laughs> oh, what was, what was the word between the, Maybe something like realist and poets. Sure. It wasn't realist. Right. It was it was a better word. But anyway, yeah. Uh, but they they you know I think it, it would get under Steve's skin. Right. And Steve back then he's he, he's cleaned up since, but he was drinking right. a lot. Right. And, and I don't blame him what he had to put up with. But um, <laughs> um, he was the new uh, Dylan. So so Lou was Lou was back home in a couple of more months. You know, right. And. Uh, uh, and that's like, well, okay. What do we do? Well, we're musicians. We got to, and we're not solo artists. So we got to put a band together. Right. So the the people closest at hand were outside of me and Lou was Marilee. Right. <laughs> of course, they were married by then. Right. And Rongo. <laughs> yes. Ron Gramp. You know, we always called him Rongo. Right. Yes. And. Uh, um, and so we worked for about a couple of months, woodshedding out at Ron's place out in the country, and uh, hit the ground running with the Maroons. Right. Yes. And uh, and that went pretty well. Well, the skeleton well, yeah. went really well too. The it was just a continuation of the symptoms in a way. Right. We were doing a similar kind of thing, but uh, we had a little more vocal power going. Yeah. On that deal. Uh, uh, anyway, so, so that's why we started the morales for okay. something. We had, to, we had to do something. We got to make a living. Uh, yes. You know, and I had saved up a bunch of money and I didn't do anything. I, I was, my girlfriend at the time played in this all girl band called the Debs. Oh yeah. And, uh, uh, and I just kind of worked with them. I, I didn't touch a guitar for three or four months. Wow. I was burnt. I was totally burned out. And uh, uh, so I worked with their band and helped them because they just started playing, really. But I, I would teach them, you know, I would I would find them parts 
that they were capable of playing that would fit together, you know. And actually, they ended right. up sounding pretty good. In fact, if you went and saw them in Columbia or Lawrence, Kansas, which right. I did, uh, you'd think they had the number one record in the country. Really? They would pack them in. Of course, they were cute as bugs, you know. Right. And uh, they, they just packed them in. And people would go crazy. They just love the curse of Shrinkville music. It's always in fact. Not, not only that, we had a, we had we went over and made a uh, some guy that worked at Twenty One when it was over on uh, at Drury uh, offered to make a video of us over uh-huh. there at Channel Twenty One, right. and I, he was going to use it for something. I don't know what. So uh, Skeletons went and did one. Wonderly went and did his three songs that were recorded, and he lip synced them. Right. And uh, and they recorded the skeletons play live, and they recorded the Debs live, and right. we had that video with us out on the road. Oh, and, and his managers were Danny Fields and Linda Stein. Oh wow! Oh, do you know those? You know those people? Okay. Yeah, exactly. He You know, it's funny. You know, have you seen his documentary on Danny Fields? No, I haven't. Well, Danny says, "Oh, it's great," and because uh-huh. uh, you know he. Well, he first he was involved. He was a publicist for the Doors, I think. Right. And then he he got he he managed Iggy Pop, and then the or the MC5 first. Yeah. And then Iggy Pop, and and uh, he was kind of involved with Jonathan Richmond a little bit way back. Right. And, and that's boy, there's into the story right there. I know. Uh, somebody <laughs> should do a, Somebody should do it. Documentary and Jonathan. Um, yeah. um, uh, and. But the biggest thing at the time was he managed the Ramones, and, right. me and especially me and Lloyd loved the Ramones. Yeah. And uh, and uh, uh, okay, what are we talking about? Here, if I get off on another train of thought, right. totally the Simpsons and the Dead. At least I got somebody with a little bit of brain left. And Channel Twenty One. That was the oh, we did the Twenty One thing. Yes. Uh, There was a there was a reason why I brought that up. Well, it's all right. So uh, Rel started up, and tell me about being kind of a big star, big stuff going on. Clearly. Well, it wasn't big stuff. It was we did great regionally. Right. Uh, we had a we had a circuit that it's funny we never could go west or south. Okay. But we'd go north and east, and we'd do great. Right. So we had this circuit. It was here, Kansas City, Lawrence, Omaha, Lincoln, uh, uh, not Council Bluffs, but uh, uh, Sioux Falls. You know, yeah. Falls over in uh, Minneapolis, uh, Madison, Milwaukee, Chicago, Lafayette, Indiana, and uh, Paducah. It was, it, we had this circuit. We didn't right. play anywhere more than two, maybe three times at the most a year, you know. Uh-huh. And the thing just it just it booked itself. Right. Once 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 it got established, we never had to book. And we would force ourselves to take summers off. Or or not <laughs> maybe not even the summers, but we'd force ourselves because if we didn't we'd just be working all the time. Right. And that would just that would just kill you. But uh but great. Regionally great. So we were hoping to branch out beyond that because you can only right. plow the same row so sure. long, you know. 
Right. And so we started getting some Luke, or was really great at at, uh, at doing the business stuff. Right. And he would, and of course, most people were gravitated to Luke because he was he was a little more outgoing, and and uh, so he knew we'd meet these people. We took we did a couple of trips out east, and uh, uh-huh. uh, and we play. We'd go out for weeks. Right. And we went out for six weeks one time. Well, at the end of that six weeks. Play our last gig was at the new Peppermint Lounge in New York City, right? <laughs> and I guess it was that day. Anyway, well, uh, I should say okay. A few months before that, or the weeks before that, before we went on that trip, between me and Lou, we got calls from every major label. There was this wow. buzz about uh, about the Morels, and yeah. because of, because of the uh, fan, the New York rocker and the fanzines, right. the press and all that stuff. Oh, we heard from every every major label, and, right? Uh, we thought we were we had it made, and we yeah. did. At the end of that six week trip, MCA Records offered us a deal, right? So we thought we were on our way. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> so I mean, Lou's probably told you all this. All this. I've stuff. heard about it, but yeah. tell it for the podcast. Well, the, uh, 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 he said, okay, well. Okay, now go back. You're going back home now, so go home. Figure out how much money you need, and then call me, and then right. work it out. Yes. So we went back. We figured out, you know, how much we're going to need. Blah, 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 yeah. Need a little uh, tour support. Blah, you know, right. yes. all of our wish list. You know, and Luke right. calls the guy. Ba- Luke calls the guy back, and just get the MCA receptionist or something. Oh, right. He doesn't work here anymore. Right, exactly. So that's as far as we ever got beyond right. beyond uh, regional. So right. you know, big deal. It was, you know, if if you were around and it was fun, you know, and uh, yeah. But it never, we never could break it up, you know. In that way, we're kind of like big star. Right. But uh, they got a great. There's a great. Uh, documentary on them too right exactly but, uh, <laughs> anyway uh i don't know that we made any records as great as those guys made but uh, i think you did but it's all of the you know we made great records definitely they're really good and uh um anyway so well that's my answer to you i think big things happen okay. well <laughs> you know again this close you know but, right uh, <laughs> And so and that, when did the when did the morels and and the sept or the skeleton start back up? Uh, okay, well that's years later. Well, I got that's after that I got the gig with the Daredevils. Okay. And I did that for like eighty eight to ninety. Okay. But we decided at one point we're, we're we've been talking about redoing this resurrecting the skeletons for a while. Right. And uh, finally, 1990 seemed to be the time. Okay. So, uh, uh, yeah, we just got together, rehearsed for a couple of months, and uh, and uh, started doing it again. Course, Why the different name? Was it the divorce or what? Pardon? Was it, divor- was it the divorce of Barely? Or the, I don't think they the were divorced of, yet. Okay, um, was it the addition of... of Lloyd, no. or you know, was it? Well, Lloyd was available. 
Right. Yeah, because he and Patty had moved to Kansas City for a while. And right. He just went around, I think. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, everything seemed to be in place. Everybody was in place and agreeable and wanted to do it. Right. That's, why, that's, that's how we started that in uh-huh. 1990, I guess. Okay. And, uh, and it was, uh, but but again, it was we just could not get over the hump. Right. <laughs> but then then we became we started we were everybody's favorite uh, budget backup band. Right. Yeah. You know, we did the Dave Alvin thing and Sid Strong right. thing. And, yes. Uh, we were going to do the Arthur Alexander thing, but he died. Right. <laughs> Well, let me see. I'm trying to remember. I think it just sort of petered out. Or it was getting to be, we couldn't make enough money to keep it on the road. It was getting more and more expensive. We couldn't get bank loans anymore. That was around the time. We used to always never have any trouble getting bank loans to to, uh, um, rebuild the engine in the van or whatever or, or buy some equipment. Yeah, and suddenly it all changed. Right. If we wanted a bank loan, or if we wanted a loan, probably had to go to a, you know, a, what do they call it, a title loan place or something. Right. Exactly. This is when uh, yeah the banks kind of got more pulled their, wag- pulled their wagons into yep. a circle, I guess. Or right. Exactly. Um, but it just uh, it got to the point where, and I think I think the last straw was. We had like a $2,000 gig or something in Chicago. Uh-huh. And the band broke down in like Springfield, Missouri, I mean, right. Illinois, and we could not get there. Uh-huh. And it was like, well, we had another gig that was going to help pay expenses, but uh, I don't know. I think we just ended up going back home and saying, yeah, this is just nuts. Anyway. Uh, it's the same old sad story. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh but then yeah, toward the we made uh oh I know, Lou and I and, and a girl named Christy McGinnis, who was a real good right. drummer. Oh yeah. The uh the combo dot com. Right. And uh, and that was fun, but there was we just couldn't find an audience much for it. In the you know, you know uh, Michael Feldman. But, yes, uh, Michael Feldman. Well, yeah. But we made a record because this guy that was had brought a uh, uh, well, actually, he was our booking agent in Chicago. But then he moved to Nashville. He, he right. kind of became a manager, and he managed this girl that he, she want, and he wanted to record at Lou's place. And mm-hmm. we were playing at the where the comedy club is there at St. Louis and and Kimbrew, I think. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, "I want to make, I want, I want to record you guys. I want to make, I want to put out, right. put out an album." Yes. We go. I never even thought of it. We, you know, we really didn't have much in the way of original material. Right. I mean, we had some pretty good stuff that maybe a lot of people never heard, but uh-huh. uh, which is we've always done. Right. So <laughs> we made this record. And we got it all done, and then Christy was having some personal issues, relationship stuff. Right. I got to move. 
I have to, I have to go away. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so that was the end of that. So right. I just, you know, it's like when you sit around, you know, necessity is a mother invention. I'm saying, hey, right. We've got, we've got these tracks that you and I sing on. Right. If we just take the bass, they could be more. It could be a Morels record. Right. And let's just see if we interest Joe and Ron. Right. And let's just go out as the Morels because people know that know that name. Yeah. I start with a new name. People right. Know the name, <laughs> it would get his foot in the door in places. Yeah. Maybe we hope. And uh, so that's what we did. Got Ron and Joe. And we recorded some more songs to fill out the record, and right. that's that first Morels album. It's got the, the um, uh, Stone. Stonehenge on the front. Yes, yeah. that one's on Slewfoot. That's where I come into the picture. Oh, yes. Oh, is that? Oh, I was thinking. Well, yeah, you had to do it in conjunction with what the Delmore. Delmore, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was. That's right. Yes. I, I did the Park Central <laughs> thing, Park Central Squares thing too, and yes, and. Uh, they had to do that in conjunction. That was Blueberry Hill and oh, and Mark Bales. Yes, he was a lawyer that put up the money, really. Right. But, uh, um, I forgot what he called his label. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about the Park Central Squares. We did that. Yes, that was. We did good. that first. Yeah, we did that in the mid nineties. Yeah. Anyway. Right. But this isn't War and Peace, you know, it's just entertain, <laughs> entertainment news. Well, okay, so tell me about Lloyd Hicks. What, was what do you want to know? There's some things well, I can tell you, some things I can't. Well, tell, give me a, a good, funny story or something about Lloyd. Oh, gosh. It was the time he came out on stage as Lunch Face Lloyd. Okay. <laughs> he took. We had a we had a deli tray thing, and he took the mayonnaise and stuck in, in a bunch of vegetables and stuff. Okay. Face, you know, he had cucumbers in the eyes. And right. That was pretty funny. Uh, oh gosh, <laughs> you know this kind of thing. It's hard without something. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of things I could tell you, but I oh, need yeah. something to stimulate the memory. <laughs> Okay, well, that tell me the first thing that came to my mind, Lunch Face Lloyd. You know? Tell me about Lou, then. Tell me what he meant to you. Oh, gosh. Well, he was, we were partners, really. He was an ally, yeah. you know, uh, right. more than anybody else. And we we just worked together really good because his strengths were my weaknesses and vice versa. Right. And uh, uh, it just... His hand in glove, and right. I had not, I haven't known anybody like that since before. Yeah. Since. Uh, you know, I don't know. What's this, I mean, God, he's he, was, pretty he was he was fun to be around. You know, he was right. like he was a great pal, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, now you know one thing that I also thought it should mention is. There are many interesting recordings from the first Morels album that have never been released. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even know that they're all there anymore, but I, I heard them and I loved them. There was Peanut, peanut Butter and these other things oh. you guys did. They were so good. Oh, and well, I don't know. I got all the tapes right here. Do you really? Well, we need died. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I, I 
my God, all that stuff. Well, we need to make sure that that stuff, because there's some good recordings on there. Well, Very good stuff. Yeah, uh, I, we pro- I guess we didn't think they were as good as the other ones that we used. Although right. I really like the ones, extra ones we put in when they, they put out the C- this first CD. Right. I like the uh, Fabian song, and I forget what the other right. one is. Right, yeah. Uh, but... Uh, Oh, I don't know. I you know I could probably li- I haven't heard, listened heard it in years, so right. <laughs> I might like it better than I. It's there. I, I liked it very much when I heard it. And so, just also for one other thing, tell me about your love of Sonny Bono. My love of Sonny Bono. Yes, Uh-oh. or is that loose love? <laughs> one of you guys was a big Sonny Bono guy. Well, you know, I'm I love Spectre, all things right. Spectre. Right. And of course, Sonny was kind of Spectre's assistant. Right. And uh, so Sonny was sort of Spectre Jr. Right. On yes. those Sonny and Cher records, and I think, right. which I love. I love those records. Right. And uh, uh, I'm sorry he became a Republican, but right. he can't have everything. <laughs> um, uh, oh, you know, it's just, well, for one thing, our our vocal ranges are about the same. Right. It has a lot to do with it. It's like this guy, Ben Vaughn, who's a really good songwriter. Yes, definitely. And we've done a bunch of his songs because oh, yeah. we have about the same vocal range. Right. Uh, plus the songs are really good. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that has a lot to do with it. It's like uh, Lou Lloyd said, you know, sometimes you get into a band because you're the you're the right size for the uniform, you know. Right. Like <laughs> or you've got a van or a PA. Or exactly. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, well, I just think it's been so fun to talk to you and to pick your brain and hear your story. And now, once again, it's time for Travis Hughes, DaleWileyShow.com. Hello. Hey, Travis. How are you? Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Tell me how your week has been. It's been pretty good. Good. What's new? What's on your mind? Oh, this COVID that's going around. It's a lot of worry, isn't it? What yes. Are you doing? What, what should you, what should people know? What's the newest? Well, right now, the only thing I can tell you people right now, please wear your mask, wash your hands. Please do this. You've been doing, you've been on this front since the first. You've been making the case that this, this is our 14th time to talk. And so yeah. it's very nice to see that you're still fight the battle and leading the war for all of the COVID safety. Yes. Yes. Any other thoughts? Anything else to say? Well, have a uh, blessed weekend and take care of your family and love them. All right. That's wonderful news once again, Travis. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. DaleWileyShow.com.